you know, when we travel, we, we see some interesting things, don't we? I often wonder how they got the names for and the terms that they use in travel. For example, the building that you go to when you go to travel is called a terminal. Ever wonder about that? I mean, flying is difficult enough for some people. And they're going to call the building that you are going to to fly a terminal. And then when you're coming in, the flight attendant or the pilot says, we are making our final descent. You've got to have faith. These days, if you're going to travel. Not only that, but you see some sights. When I was coming back, there was this lady. Well, I don't know if I should say this. Anyway, there was this lady with a very unusual posterior. And she got on the plane. I travel on, on Connell Connection. You know those little small planes? And we were walking down the, the thing to go to the plane. And she was in the front. Fella says, it's got to be jelly because jam don't roll. But when we got on the plane, she sat in the seat. And she said, if I was a little bit wider, I would get in the seat. And I said, be nice, Randy, be nice. I was thinking, well, whose fault is that? Or, and then I thought, Santa, well, you just love to pay for two seats. But I simply said, hmm. That was the politically correct answer to give. Godly success, what does it look like? We often define success from the world's definition. We are children of God, and everything that we do ought to be done in a way that is honoring to the Lord. As Pastor Lee would often say, my work and my life is my worship. And so everything that you do ought to be an act of worship. Therefore, it ought to be glorifying to the Lord. And so when we seek to be successful in our lives, when we seek to do all those things in our lives that we want to be effective at, it ought to be done in a way where it can be defined as godly success. Or to put another way, living successfully or living correctly from God's point of view. Many times we live our lives from the world's point of view. As Christians, we determine our success by the world's definition. Many times we fail to realize that the Bible specifically instructs Christians that we are not only to reside in this world, not only uh, to live here, but uh, but we ought not to, be, not to embrace or be governed by the philosophy that the world has. And many times we do. Living any other way other than God's way is considered by God to be worldly. So if we are not to look at the world for a definition of success, where do we look? Where do we look? Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8 gives us an idea of what godly success ought to look like. God reminds us. He says, my thoughts, that is my intentions and my plans and my purposes, are not your thoughts. Or they're not man's thoughts, intentions, plans, or purposes. 
Know or are your ways, your customs, your manners, your purposes, my ways or my customs and manners, declares the Lord. And so when we look at godly success, we ought to look at what God would put his stamp of approval on. What God would endorse in our lives. Now many times, those things are not as pleasant as we would like them to be. But nevertheless, God considers them success from his point of view. Joseph is considered one of the model success stories of the Bible. Two of his strengths are highlighted in his life. He was known for personal integrity, that is honesty and uprightness. Those, that's the preeminent characteristic we would notice in Joseph's life. But he was also a man of spiritual compassion or a man of sensitivity. So what can we learn about godly success or successful living or effective living from the life of Joseph? I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. The 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. The book of beginnings. What better place to look for how we are to look at a formula or a principle for living our lives successfully. One of the first things we see in the passage is that Joseph did not have, and the key word is did not, have freedom of choice. Joseph did not have freedom of choice. Verse 1 says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Now, Joseph doesn't mean that Joseph caught a taxi or a train or a bus or a plane. He was taken against his will. He wasn't catching a ride. And so one of the first things we notice from a man who is a model of godly success is that he did not have freedom of choice. Now, many people feel as if in order for me to be successful in anything that I do, I need to have the freedom to do so. Well, Joseph was a model of success, and he didn't have the freedom that he would, he would have desired to have. Joseph could not go where he wanted to go. He could not go where he chose to go. He was taken elsewhere where others wanted him to go. Whether he liked it or not, he had to do it. Yet, he is considered a success in God's eyes. Why? How come? He didn't have freedom. Well, that's the first success principle we learned from Joseph's story or Joseph's life. Successful living from God's point of view does not always mean that you will have the freedom you would like to have. Successful living from God's point of view means that you will not always have the freedom you would like to have. Many of you are in jobs or careers or even in relationships where you feel that you cannot have the success that you would like to have because of the restrictions on your life. Joseph had even worse restrictions, but yet God calls him a success. But another thing we saw in Joseph's life was not only did he not have freedom, but Joseph was what was described as a 
purchased possession, or he was a commodity. Verse 1, Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. He was somebody's property. How did, he, how did he become such a possession? Well, Joseph, we know the story. Joseph had a gift that was given to him by God. And uh, he was a dreamer. And many people, even many people today don't like dreamers. Because they are visionaries. And Joseph would share his dreams with his brothers. And in the dreams, he was always the one on top. He was always the one in charge. And his brothers were always bowing or submitting to him. And those guys didn't like that. This is baby brother. Who does he think he is? And on top of that, daddy loved baby brother more than he loved the rest of the other brothers. And that didn't go over too well either. And so these brothers decided, man, this, this, this little, he's a pain. We need to get rid of him. Turn to Genesis chapter 37. In Genesis chapter 37, we read of a plot against Joseph. And it, it, this plot culminates all that the brothers had, expo had been exposed to. And uh, you could very well say they had gotten to the point where uh, they had reached a straw that broke the camel's back. When they, verse 18 of Genesis chapter 37. When they saw him from a distance, that is Joseph... And before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Boy, he must have really been a snotty-nosed little brother. They wanted to kill him. Now, I know big brothers and big siblings do a lot to little siblings. But I don't think I've ever heard of a big brother or a big sister who wanted to just take them out. So Joseph must have been a real special case. They plotted to put him to death, not to punish him. Not to test him. You know, uh, you know, at ALC, we put a lot of pranks on people a lot of times. And they would do some stuff, and people would wonder, what are you thinking? Well, they weren't thinking about pulling a plot. This was the real thing. They really wanted to kill him. Notice. They said to one another, here he comes, this dreamer. Verse 20, now, when, now then, come, let us kill him and throw him in one of the pits. And we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. Verse 21, but Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood. Throw him in this pit. That is, in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him. Out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Boy, they were heartless, weren't they? Took their baby brother. Threw him into a pit, and then they sat down to have dinner. Didn't even think. And they raised their eyes and looked, and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aroma gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? 
come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother. Well, now he's their brother. Our own flesh. Oh, he's their own. Now, this is after they threw him in the pit. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite, Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him out of the pit, lifted Joseph out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph to Egypt. Down to 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard, sold twice. As a slave, he did not have control of his own life. Someone else was calling the shots in Joseph's life. And yet Joseph was considered by God to be a success from God's point of view. Success principle number two. Successful living from God's point of view is not determined or achieved by self-sufficiency. Joseph was not self-sufficient in the condition or the situation or the circumstances he was in. Many people look at their lives and consider themselves to be self-made men and self-made women. Well, Joseph was a success, and he could not do what he wanted to do. He was not self-sufficient. And so successful living from God's point of view is not determined by or achieved by self-sufficiency. Having the right to do whatever you want, whenever you want. That's not how godly success is defined. But if we go back over to chapter 39, we see something else about Joseph's life that tells us that he was a success. He did not have freedom of choice. He did not have, he was a purchased possession or a commodity. But notice verse 2 tells us, Joseph did have divine companionship. Joseph did have com divine companionship. Verse 2 said, the Lord was with Joseph. Interesting, isn't it? All that happened to him, all that his brothers did to him. He didn't have Reuben who stood up for him and stopped his brothers from taking his life. He didn't have Reuben. He didn't have his daddy who loved him so much that he gave him a beautiful coat and his brothers got jealous of it. He didn't have him. Didn't have his mommy. Didn't have any of the other brothers who loved him. But he did have the Lord. And that makes a world of difference. Because that statement itself speaks volumes about Joseph's relationship with God. Joseph may have been yanked out of his environment, yanked out of a, a comfortable environment and a familiar environment that he was accustomed to, but he was not yanked out of a relationship or the presence of the Lord. Speaks also of Joseph's success. Successful living from God's point of view is only possible when there is an intimate walk with God. Successful living from God's point of view, principle three, is only possible when there is an intimate walk with God. How many of you today are seeking success and God is not in the equation? How many of you are seeking success and you're looking at all kinds of methods and all kinds of formulas and you have yet to consult or present your plans to God? Do you have an intimate walk with God that's given you the success that you want in life? Whatever place, whatever takes place in the realm of such intimacy is godly success. But we see something else that, Dave, that Joseph had. 
Not only did Joseph have divine companionship, but Joseph also had divine help. Notice verse 2 goes on to say, not only was the Lord with him, it says, so he became a successful man. Now, do you think Joseph would have been just as successful as the scripture says that he was if he had not had the kind of relationship with God that he had in that alien environment that he was in? The environment that Joseph was in was alien and foreign to everything that he had been accustomed to. Obedience toward God and fellowship with God is the key or was the key to Joseph's successful life. Whatever Joseph did in that foreign and alien environment got God's seal or stamp of approval. Perhaps you're in a relationship. Perhaps you're in a job. Perhaps you have a career. And you don't have the success that you would like to have. Somebody else got the promotion that you were supposed to get. And you knew quite well that you were more qualified than the other person. And you're resentful. Joseph could have felt that way. He could have felt that way against his brothers. Vengeful. And bitter. He could have felt that way uh, toward God because he had always had a good relationship with God. He had always had an intimate relationship with God. How could God let this happen to me? Joseph could have felt that way. Some of you are feeling that way about the relationship you're in. Probably it's your marriage relationship. Probably it's a friendship. Probably it's a, a job you're in and the boss is not treating you well. And then you're bitter with God and you wonder, God, why, why did you put me into this situation? Successful living from God's point of view originates with and is orchestrated by a sovereign God. In other words, whatever situation you're in, God wants you to be successful in that situation using his formula. It may not be the best circumstances at this point. But we must accept it as the sovereign will of God. God is in control. He's in charge. If you have a relationship with him, you're walking consistently with God as Joseph did. Doesn't matter how bad things may be. You can experience the same godly success that Joseph experienced. And that brings us to the next point that we see in Joseph's story of success. And that is, Joseph blossomed where he was planted. Joseph bloomed where he was planted. Notice verse 2 says, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. It was an alien environment, a foreign environment. There was nothing in that environment that was conducive to the spiritual growth and development and a life of God that Joseph was accustomed to or that he needed. But yet still, he blossomed there for God. How many of you are blossoming where God has allowed you to be? It matters. It's important, as we will see. But the point here is, Successful living from God's point of view does not have to be restricted by your environment. Successful living from God's point of view does not or is never restricted by environment. In other words, your environment should not determine how successful you are for God. How effectively you are living for God. And Joseph shows us how to live that very well. Notice the next point he says, next point verse 3 tells us what came of Joseph's relationship in that kind of environment. 
Joseph made God look good. Joseph made God look very good. How many of us are making God look good in the environment we're in? What kind of impression of God do people have of us in the environment that we are living in? Are we always grumbling and murmuring? Remember the Bible says, do all things without murmurings and disputes. Why? Because we are representing God. No matter where we are, what kind of environment we're in, we're still representing God. Some of us are so bitter at God that we just don't care how people view God based on our behavior and our characteristics and our attitudes. Joseph made God look. Verse 3 says, now his master saw that the Lord was with him. And how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Can anybody say that about you and your environment? Can You know what he was doing? The man was praising God because of Joseph. You realize that? He saw God through Joseph's life. His master saw. He didn't guess. He saw that the Lord was with Joseph. In other words, Joseph was living his life. He did not miss a beat when he, get, when he entered Pharaoh's household in terms of his relationship with God, in terms of everything that he did uh, with God. He did not miss a beat. He didn't change his lifestyle. He didn't change his behavior. And that's why the Bible tells us here that Joseph was successful because God was in the equation of his life Day in and day out. His master saw that the Lord was with Joseph and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. In other words, Joseph continued to live for God and honor him regardless of his circumstances. Are you letting your circumstances dictate your lifestyle and hinder your godly progress before the world and those around you? So what's the principle here? Successful living from God's point of view means recognizing and attributing all success to God. Notice, the master didn't see Joseph as the successful one. He saw through Joseph and he saw Joseph's God. And that's the one that he gave the glory to. Matthew 5, 16 tells us that we are to let your light so shine before men. In such a way that they may do what? See your good works. And do what? Praise you? Exalt your name? No, what does it say? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's exactly what happened in Joseph's life. Joseph's master saw God through Joseph. And he glorified God because of what he saw in and through Joseph's life. That's what godly success looks like. That's how we ought to be living our lives before God. It means recognizing and attributing all success to God and God alone. And I can tell you, whenever Joseph's master probably uh, commended Joseph for something that he did, he was a very good manager. And whenever he was commended, I can imagine Joseph saying, praise be to God, or to God be the glory. Joseph had to be acknowledging God every step of his life for his master to be able to come to this conclusion. Is that happening in your relationships? Is that happening on your job? Is that happening in your career? 
Are people looking at you and saying, boy, God's got a good servant there? Are they seeing God through your life? Are you experiencing godly success? But as a result of Joseph's relationship with God, and how he lived for God, and how he put God in the equation of all areas of his life, we see something else about Joseph's life. Joseph received preferential treatment. In other words, he was a VIP in captivity. You realize that? Look at the verse. Verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. The man is a slave. He's a slave. He's a commodity. He's a possession. And because of his consistent walk with God, God made him successful at every area of his life. Now he's being put in charge of the master's house. He's a VIP. Successful living from God's point of view results in honor, privilege, and respect from the most unlikely or unexpected source. That's what godly success looks like. Doesn't matter how much the person doesn't like you. Your boss may not give two hoots about you. But if you live for God and you honor God in all that you do, he's not going to have a choice. He's not going to have a choice but to praise God for you. And that's what happened in part of his life. Potiphar may not have given two, may not have been concerned two hoots about Joseph personally. But he had to acknowledge what God was doing in Joseph's life. And he had to honor God because of that. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. That's what godly success looks like. That's what living successfully from God's point of view looks like. Is that happening in your life? You know, the Bible tells us that we are to live our lives in such a way that even those who speak ill about us will have to give glory to God anyway because of what God is doing in our lives. But we see something else about the success of Joseph's life. Joseph was a source of blessing. He was a source of blessing. Verse 5 said, it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house, and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house on account of Joseph. See that? Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, that is all, fair, all part of her own, in his house and in his field. So see what happens? When we live in a way that is honoring to God, when we live our lives successfully from God's point of view rather than man's, we become a source of blessing to those around us. In other words, Joseph, what you might call, had the Midas touch. Everything that he touched in his master's household could, you could say turn to gold. He was a blessing. The principle, successful living from God's point of view results in God's blessing upon those who recognize and acknowledge as God as the primary source of their success. And that's what Potiphar did. He acknowledged God as the primary source of his success. Because notice what the verse says. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's household on account of Joseph. And thus, the Lord's blessing was upon everything that he owned. And Pharaoh knew 
that the blessings were coming from the Lord through Joseph. Joseph is highly trusted. Verse 6. So he left everything that he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him, there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. In other words, he said to Joseph, you're in charge. You are the boss. One fellow called the term, uh, he was the HNIC. The head nigger in charge. Everything. Now, some people may have determined that everything meant more than everything should have included. But everything that the master had he placed in Joseph's charge, Joseph was highly trusted. And the key word there is trusted. Are you trusted in the environment that you're in to the point where you people could give you something and just turn their back on you and know it's got to be done? That's what the master did. The only thing he was concerned about was the food he ate. In other words, that meant, uh, you know, the only thing that he was concerned about is what I want for dinner, what I want for lunch, what I want for supper. Joseph was in charge of everything else, highly trusted. That's what it means to live successfully from God's point of view. Successful living from God's point of view requires God-honoring stewardship in every area of life. God-honoring stewardship in every area of your life. That means that you are to honor God in your relationships and your stewardship of time on the man's job. If you have 30 minutes for lunch, take 30 minutes for lunch, not 32. If you are there to do a job, do the job. And don't spend it doing something else That's not, that doesn't have anything to do with your job. Joseph did all that was required. See, Joseph realized that he was working not unto Potiphar, but he was working as unto the Lord. And that's one of the things that we need to remember. Regardless of how disgusting your boss is, Don't get back at him by taking more time off or doing things that that is not a part of your job at all. Joseph realized that successful living from God's point of view required honoring God's, uh, honoring, God honoring stewardship in every area of life. Are you experiencing that in your life? God honoring stewardship. But you know, no matter how well we live for the Lord, no matter how obedient we are to the Lord, no matter how much we are walking circumspectly with the Lord, guess what? The devil is going to find a way. He is going to find a way. As sure as the nose is on your face, he's going to find a way to trip you up. And Joseph is no exception. The other thing we see in the passage is that Joseph faced a snare. You know what a snare is, right? Joseph faced a snare. Verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Verse 7 says, It came about after these events that his master's wife, uh uh-oh, looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, Come sleep with me. Let's go to bed together. Come have sex with me, Joseph. You see, Satan is no fool. And he will not stand idly by and allow you to succeed from God's point of view without using some aspect of your success to bring about your failure or your disgrace. 
He's not going to sit around and let you get away with living successfully for God. Because that's going to mean egg on his face. And he won't stand for that. In Joseph's case, it was his body. The Bible tells us that Joseph was well built and handsome. In other words, Joseph was a hunk of a man, so much so that women would desire to have him. And that's what happened with this woman. Day in and day out, Joseph is running around doing his business, and she's there watching. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, every move Joseph makes, her eyes are on him. And you know, Joseph's not paying any attention to her. He's going about doing his business the way he ought to be doing it. And so he doesn't notice. He doesn't notice this woman eyeing him. Something that did not escape as part of his eye was Joseph's physique. And you know, this woman holds the spot in biblical history as the first sensualist in the gallery of scriptural women. The first. All of the other women uh, in the scriptures up to this point committed moral sins for dynastic reasons to advance a kingdom or to get ahead uh, or to allow someone to get ahead of the kingdom. Uh, because of the reasons and the customs of the time, Potiphar's wife is the first woman to do so as a result of pure, unadulterated lust. The first one. And if an absolutely bad woman is Satan's masterpiece, then, then Potiphar's wife, she gets first prize. She gets first prize for being a diabolical, crafty, shameful, and wicked woman. But what do we learn from this experience? Successful living from God's point of view is never without subtle enticements to failure in morality and integrity. Never without subtle enticements to failure. Watch for it. It's going to come. If it hasn't come yet, it's coming. Keep one eye open for it. You're going to get it. Satan is not going to leave you alone. If you're making God look good, his idea is he's going to make you look bad. You know, I met a young man one time who uh, was very vigilant for God, serving God. Every time you saw him, he had his Bible under his arm, and he's going out, and he's reading his Bible, and he has a fair, spare moment. And a, and a young lady had her eyes on him, like Paul's his wife, I don't Joseph. And she looked at him, and every move he made, she was there watching him. Now, whenever she approached him, he ignored her. And she said to him one day, you, I'm going to make you put that Bible down. And she did. She did. She finally got to him. So Satan is out there to get you. But, but Satan, uh, Joseph refused to betray trust. Notice verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. In other words, Joseph drew the line and simply said, no. And so successful living from God's point of view requires firmly maintaining clearly defined boundaries. Exceeding the boundaries always works in Satan's favor. Give him an inch and he becomes a ruler. He always does. Watch out for him. Joseph refused to indulge in disobedience. Verse 9. There's no greater 
No greater one in the, in the house, in this house, than I. And has withheld, and, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great evil and sin against God? Now, Joseph was not so much concerned against, uh, about sinning against himself or sinning against Potiphar. What was he concerned about sinning against? He was concerned about sinning against his God, not his master. His master was a secondary thought. His concern was sinning against his God. How many times do we think about our actions being contrary to God's will and purpose as opposed to our boss? Whenever we do some things on the job to get back at the boss or somebody in a relationship who did us wrong, are we just thinking about that individual or are we thinking about how this is going to affect God? Because if you are, if you're thinking how this is going to affect the individual and not God, you are not living by godly success. You're living by man's view of the success. Tit for tat, butter for fat, you kill my dog, you better believe I'm going to kill your cat. That's how many of us live our lives. I don't get mad. I just get even. And we do it all the time. Successful living. Are you living it for God or for self or by the world's definition and standards? Joseph refused to indulge. Successful living from God's point of view demands a no compromise stand in God's presence. And many times we forget the fact that we are always in God's presence. Joseph never forgot the fact that God was with him. Remember verse 2? And God was with Joseph. Joseph never forgot it. And so when Miss Potiphar came here in her, in her see-through negligee, I heard a pastor say from the pulpit, uh, uh, lingerie. <laughs> Whenever she showed up in her lingerie, <laughs> Joseph looked the other way. He didn't look at her. He looked the other way. Because Joseph realized that God was with him. So successful living from God's point of view demands a no-compromise stand in God's presence. Never mind Potiphar, Joseph could not commit such a sin against his God. The devil is going to tempt you to get back at the boss and make God look bad. That's what he was doing in Joseph's life. That's not godly success. Joseph ignored his temper, tempter. Verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, she was relentless. He did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. In other words, Joseph changed his way of doing things. He decided, you know what? I got to watch it. I'm not going to even be around this woman. Joseph decided to shun the very appearance of evil, as the scripture tells us to do. And so successful living from God's point of view means just saying no and meaning it. You see, many times we say no, and the devil says, oh, you don't mean that. And so he comes back and he presents the temptation in, temptation in a different form or fashion, in a different way. And he says, oh, okay, I'll do it. It means saying no and meaning it, as Joseph did. This woman was relentless in tempting David, Joseph rather, uh, to commit adultery day after day after day. She was trying to wear him down, but, he, but she didn't. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22 tells us to abstain from all appearance of evil. And that's what Joseph did. And that's what we ought to do. Because of his focus and determined character, 
the more she insisted, the easier it became for Joseph to say no. That is the behavior which characterizes godly success. The question is, do you have it? Joseph was cornered. Sooner or later, she was going to get him in a position that she wanted him in. And that time came. Verse 11, now it happened. One day that he went into the house to do his work. And none of the men of the household was there inside. Good opportunity. Now it happened. Notice the verse, the, the, the term. Now it happened. Speak of the effective results of the enemy's tireless resolve. The enemy doesn't give up. He does not give up. He's relentless. Sooner or later, one way or another, I am going to get you, Joseph. Whenever she, Joseph got away from her, that was her, her statement or her mindset. One way or another, Joseph, I'm going to get you. The enemy is always looking for times and opportunities to attack and will stoop to the most desperate measures. And this was one of those measures. And so successful living from God's point of view does not always eliminate entrapment by the determined. The outcome determines godly success. How you handle that entrapment when it comes determines how successfully you are living from God's point of view. But Joseph escapes. And it speaks of determined resolve in Joseph's mind because the Lord was with him. She caught him, verse 12, by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled outside. Joseph felt that it was better to run outside naked than to be caught and to give in. Many of you know uh, the Jim Jones massacre. They made a movie out of it some years ago, and, and uh, I don't know if it was correct, but in the depiction of the movie, the guy who, uh, someone went to this fellow for uh, advice, and, and uh, they, they asked him, uh, how do you handle temptation? Uh, when it comes, I mean, it's relentless. It keeps coming and coming and coming. He says, it's simple. Just give in. That's easy enough. Well, Joseph didn't give in. Before Joseph gave in, he desired shame to run outside naked with no clothes on. Sometimes avoiding is not enough. It is necessary at times to turn and run. And you're not a coward if you turn and run. Sometimes it's the wisest thing you could ever do especially when the temptation is too strong for us. Many times we think we're strong enough. I can handle this. And the enemy says, oh, yeah, we'll see. Mrs. Potiphar said that. So successful living from God's point of view resolves to find a way out rather than give up or give in. For Joseph, it meant leaving his clothes behind. That is what godly success looks like. But then we also see that Joseph was accused. Uh, verse four, from verse 13 to 18, we see the accusation that was made against Joseph. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought, me, he, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me, and I screamed. And when he heard me, that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until her master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. 
And I raised my voice and screamed, and he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Is that the truth? Even though Joseph escaped, the she-devil's passionate, passionate attempts and cry and desperate effort to seduce him, his shredded clothes was left behind in the hands of an inflamed woman with passion to conceive a diabolical idea. What did she do? Well, she did three things. Her desire for Joseph turned to hate, for one. All that passion she had to get Joseph in bed, all that turned to hate. And secondly, her lust for Joseph turned to lies. She conceived a lie to make him punish, to punish him for not giving in to her. And then her intended adultery with Joseph turned to accusation. She accused him. She exhibited a classic case of a woman scorned. Joseph succeeded from God's point of view. Successful living from God's point of view still results in being falsely accused. Don't get the idea because you're living successfully for God from God's point of view that you're not going to be falsely accused. Oh, yes, that's going to happen. The question is how you deal with it. How do you come out of it still looking clean as Joseph did? You may not have any clothes on, but you will be clean. The aggressive perpetrator fails miserably, cries foul. And the innocent victim suffers unjustly even though he lived successfully with the help of his almighty and faithful God. Could that be a description of you in your circumstance? So what's the success principle that we learn for godly success? Success from God's point of view only comes by walking consistently, faithfully, and obediently with the triune God. When you put all that Joseph went through, that's what it amounts to in a nutshell. Can you say that of your experience, regardless of the environment that you're in? Regardless of how difficult it is in your job, or in the relationship, or the marriage that you're going through. This is the formula for godly success. Do you have it? How successfully are you living your life for God? What areas of your life do you need to change your formula for success. I want you to think about that real seriously. And as we bow for prayer and closing, ask God right now, as you bow your head and we're about to close, ask God. Ask him to reveal those areas in you, to you, that you need to change. And then you need to do something else. Because asking is not enough. You need to be willing. Be willing to make whatever change is necessary. Whatever change God the Holy Spirit tells you that you need to make. You need to be willing to make that change. Whatever is necessary. Regardless of how difficult it may be. Regardless of how painful it may be. And in some cases... Regardless of how embarrassing it may be, be willing to make that change. Do that right now. As we pause before we close, ask God. God, show me areas in my life where I'm not living successfully from your point of view. Forget about man's point of view and the world's point of view and the world's philosophy. Lord, how do I measure up to you in terms of godly success? Do it right now.
Father, we thank you. We thank you for Joseph, for the role model that he presents before each of us, how one can be confined, unrestricted, all of the freedoms taken away, become a commodity, placed in a foreign environment, in even a hostile environment, and yet succeed in your eyes simply because you were with him. And as a result, you blessed him with success. Lord, may this be the testimony of each of us as we surrender those areas in our lives that need to be surrendered absolutely, completely, and fully. Thank you for those of us who have surrendered to your will today in doing just that. Get glory for yourself out of our lives hereafter as we seek to exhibit godly success in all that we do. For Christ's sake and in his precious name we pray.